Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Before you listen in on today's episode of Fraudology, I have some really big news to share. I wish I had a drum roll because I'm very excited about this. The first annual Fraudology benchmarking survey results are now available to download. It's an understatement to say that a lot of hard work, late nights, and passion has gone into the making of this report that we really hope will be a game changer for the industry. It could not have been created without the specific sponsorship of this project, Who and the sponsor was Forder. Not only did they finance the survey facilitators, but they gave Shoshana and I the autonomy to ask the questions that we know that you have desperately needed and wanted the answers to for so long to really help you do your job better, to help you benchmark where you're at with your peers and share that with your leadership, to make better decisions and strategic by knowing what everyone else is doing. I'm really hopeful that this is going to be a big step for collectively for everyone in the industry internationally and cannot only thank Forder enough for sponsoring this and believing in this, but also for my you know, not-so-secret weapon and my partner in anti-crime for this project, Shoshana Marini. She was my guest on Tuesday's episode where we talked a bit about some of the surprises that we came across as we were looking at the data and the results from the survey. We also talked about how this survey had over 500 respondents, all in e-commerce, all senior people who are in charge or responsible for fraud metrics and KPIs and strategy for their companies all across multiple sizes of merchants from you know what we might consider medium all the way to enterprise and the largest companies in the world. The gems and nuggets of this survey just can't be understated. So I'm really excited that you can now access it and read it for yourself. And on today's episode, Shoshana's back to talk about some of the some of the portions of this survey, some of the sections that really seemed most important to us. While they weren't surprising, they were validating. And I think more than anything, that's something that we've needed. I know myself as a consultant, whenever I'm talking with senior leaders, they always want to know, well, how do we compare to the rest of the ecosystem? Where are we compared to our peers when it comes to chargeback rates and when it comes to approvals and where should we be and what should we be doing? And all of these different questions, we asked everything from those important metrics to what are some of the factors that make you know that it's time to change providers? What are some of the factors that make you interested in learning about other providers or other technology or processes or strategies? And we even asked our respondents about salary, which we're really excited that people answered. And we'll share a little bit more about that on today's episode. So now you can download the episode and read along, or you can you know, hear some of our takes about it and what we thought, and then go read it. However you want to do it, just make sure that you download the 
survey and the report. It's broken out into sections, easy for you to pick and choose how much you drill down into things. There are takeaways. There are best practices. There are lists of extra resources on the podcast if you want to hear episodes that are specific to some of the sections that really became and some of the topics and issues that became very clear when looking at the data. So that is our episode today. And I'm just so excited. I hope you guys can, I'm sure you can tell in my voice. I just, I, this has been a long road and I'm so proud of it. So it's important for you to download this too. I really can't tell you how excited we are to have you read the details of this report yourself. I'm excited to hear what you like about it and also how we can make it better for next year. Just because I'm proud of what's behind us doesn't mean that we are not ready to think about what's in front of us for second annual. Our goal is to have something to benchmark year over year to hopefully be able to see some things go down and other things go up and to track the progress of the industry because it's very, very clear in the data, as we talked about on Tuesday's episode, that as an industry, we are in a transitional state really across three stages. And every company is within one of those three stages. My hope is that hopefully we see majority of companies phasing out of that first phase and moving on into the second and third soon. We're only going to know that if we keep tracking this data. So here's where you can download this. It's available at www.forder.com forward slash benchmark. That's www.forter.com forward slash benchmark. And even better, you don't have to make up an email address or even provide your own to get access to this. This wasn't something that Shoshana and I required. We were already grateful for all the autonomy that Forder gave us throughout this process. But Forder shared with us that it was more important to them that you have access to this information than it is for them to make you provide your email address. So go download the report. Don't worry about having to you know, come up with something or, you know, use your own email and then try to dodge marketing, anything like that. Now, of course, I will say they have some pretty awesome marketing emails that you can sign up for, but it's not required. And that's just one of the many things that makes Forder stand out. And on that note, this is also the last episode of the second quarter of 2023. And that means that it's also the end of Forder's sponsorship of Fraudology for Q2. And I don't want to make this long. I want you guys to be able to listen in on my talk with Shoshana, but I just cannot thank Forder enough for all that they did from sending over a hundred of you Fraud Fighter t-shirts. I know that at least almost 10 of you won copies of Shoshana's book, Practical Fraud Prevention by O'Reilly Publishing. And there's a lot of other exciting things to come. In addition to the benchmarking survey, Forder is offering a free micro course taught by Shoshana Marini and Galit Saporta, both the authors of Practical Fraud Prevention by O'Reilly. Sure, you're seeing a theme, but that book is just as groundbreaking as the survey and really think they go hand in hand. And also, Forder's Impact Conference is October 11th in New York City. The content will be merchant-led by some of the top e-commerce companies in the world, and I'm 90% sure that I will be there too. So I'd really love to get to see you all there October 11th in New York City at the Forder Impact Conference. The links to download the survey as well as to sign up for the micro course, which is titled Measure What Matters, 
by Galit and Shoshana and the link for the Impact Conference to learn more about it. They're all in the show notes of today's episode. So with that, I'll let you listen in on my second conversation with Shoshana about some of the metrics that became clear that really helped us know that we were on the right track. It was validating. And I think it really will be for you too. Well, on Tuesday's episode, Shoshana Marini joined me to talk about some of the surprises that we learned from the first annual Fraudology Benchmarking Survey. And we knew from the start that we would not be able to talk about everything we wanted to and that you would honestly want to hear us talk about from this survey because there are so many just great gold nuggets of information from this the study that we have been working on over the last several months. So I asked Shoshana to come back for today's episode and so grateful that she did. Shoshana, thank you for joining me again to talk a little bit more about the data behind some of the intuitions that a lot of us in the industry have already had, but then how people can use it in their company to advocate for the value of their team and what they need to succeed and just what that data is and then how to use it. I found it really satisfying to see the data behind the intuition. Like, yes, mm. we like we knew this. I knew this. I know other people knew this, but now we can prove it. And now you can actually walk into somebody's office and say, this is the fact. What should we do yeah. about it? I have some thoughts. Always walk in with thoughts. <laughs> yes. Um, make oh, make yes. it easy for people to say yes by, by mm-hmm. giving them a helpful, well thought out plan. That's just really nice to see that kind of data. You hit on such a good point. It's not only nice to see the data, it's nice to have the data because in thinking about all the frustrations that I've had in my career, whether it was as a full-time manager of one team or a consultant for lots of different companies working with upper management and leadership, I feel like for so long in our industry, we've had to go off of our gut and we've had to talk about it from our gut perspective. And to us, we know it's true, right? But to people in senior leadership that don't think about fraud the way we do, don't understand the importance of our gut and our intuition and all of that, that sounds really squishy. And so to yeah, say, it's on the rise. Well, how do you know that? Is it on the rise for anyone else? Like that's such a common question. When I go into client companies and leadership will say, well, where are we compared to everyone else? Well, is this what everyone else is doing? And we can share best practices all day long and we can share information, which is so important, but we can't share metrics, right? And so because of that, we can say, it seems like it. Yeah. Yeah, everyone else is dealing with it. But unless you're saying it is up this percent by this time, you have like a pretty little graph to go with what you're saying. It's really hard to get action. And that was... I think that can be frustrating for fraud fighters, especially because it's not just that they're used to trusting their gut instinct. It's that they're used to getting feedback within two or three months that their gut instincts are correct. That's very frequently. Like you have to make a decision. It has to be fast. And like most of the time, you're actually right. You could pat yourselves on the back. That is the the beauty of fraud intuition. You'd spend yeah. a certain amount of time developing it. And there is that. Oh my know, gosh. Yeah. Aspect. I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah. For the sure. longer you're doing it. But, but yeah. Yeah. Once you've got it, it, it really is there and it's pretty reliable in the same way that an mm-hmm. expert in fine art knows if it's a forgery or not. Right. You, you, you really do develop that. And I think that can be mm-hmm. then frustrating when you're like, well, I get this feedback all the time. 
I, I know I'm right most of the time. I'm not always right, but I'm right most of the time. And I'm coming and telling you I have a very, very strong sense that this is correct. And I have some right. data that sort of helps back it up. Yeah. And you're not taking it seriously. And I know because... like, I have to be right because I, I am right a good percentage of the time. I can tell you how often I'm right. In fact, that I have the data for. So yeah, <laughs> the, the, idea, the idea with the survey was very much to be like, wow, well, now I have data for this too. Um, right. Yeah, because and, the whole yeah. the whole purpose of our survey was, I mean, really, and I think because of this in the last episode too, like our guiding forces and whenever we, when narrowing it down from like over 100 questions to 30 and how do we ask this question and how are, are we doing this? Our guiding forces were, is this going to help fraud leaders do their job better? Is this going to help them make better decisions and communicate it to their leadership in a way that their leadership is going to be able to trust that their gut and their intuition are right? And you're so spot on in the fact that we do have, we have a feedback loop, right? And and I think that's something that I love. I know that that's a big part of why I love this industry and why I loved to manage mm. my own team and why I loved the autonomy was I have this gut instinct of what's going to happen if we put this, this, and this in place. And then in two, three, four months, I'm going to be able to know if I was right or not. Yeah. But it's so hard to tell your leadership what you know is going to happen without any proof, right? And to say, hey, we need to do something now so we don't lose more money. Well, they're not used to making decisions like that because everything else in business, you're able to chat, chart on a graph, right? Like where was our where was our cost of goods last year at this time? Or where was this? Or where was that? Or how much web traffic did we have on during this date? Or how does how does the weather in this geography impact our web traffic? Like they know all those things by data. So you come in and say, I know this is going to happen in XYZ. Well, where's the chart? Where's the graph? We're hoping that now that we have data to back up majority of our assumptions. I mean, we talked about the surprises on Tuesday and some of the things we were like, but I think to you and I, they weren't shocking, but I think I know that to people in, in fraud, they will be because they're not studying kind of the, the 10,000 foot view. They're on the ground. I'm still shocked about the false positives. I'm still shocked. I'm, I'm disappointed. I don't think I was disappointed. <laughs> I mean, granted, I was disappointed like a parent and because I did three episodes on the freaking topic. Actually, I was so funny you say that because I had my retailer group call the other day and this topic came up organically false positives because I think the way that one merchant phrased it when they asked was how do you measure how did they put it? It was it was something different where I thought it was so, they were asking something different at first oh canceled an error so they were calling it canceled an error when I was like isn't that basically a false decline or are you talking about a manual reviewer that accidentally hits cancel when really they meant to hit approve like that's going to be a very small number and they were like no 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 like our false declines so I'm like oh you call it okay that's fine. We all can call things differently. And that's quite talking. misleading, though, because it's not that I you cancelled it. You you intended to cancel it. That that part was a mistake. It's just right. In fact, it was. You know, yeah. Anyway. Yes. Everyone has their own terms. Very good. Well, no and term it's is very, perfect. Well, it's also a very good example, right? Of like how in an emerging industry we all call things different things. So first, yes. you have to take a couple minutes to go. What do you mean by that? And that happens all the time on these calls with lots of merchant groups. Is like. Okay, when you say approval, do you mean with bank auth or after bank auth? Okay, when you say this, do you like you just have to get quantifying information. And yeah, that then was a really strong trend with the survey as well, with especially with all the research we did before it. So many different terms for diff for the yes. same thing, and then the same term being used for different things, and people not being completely consistent about what equation they were using to measure things, even things that were like actually quite fundamental. But like, it's it's such a, an emerging industry still. It's grown right. so much, and the tech is really sophisticated now. 
and we have like complex ideas about how to handle things. And for mm-hmm. sure, the fraud side is sufficiently sophisticated to keep everybody entertained. Oh. But like as an industry, we're still actually very young and you kind of forget that because everything else has moved on. Well, yeah. And especially when you're mostly working with the big guys, right? The enterprise merchants, a lot of them have had fraud teams for 10, 15 True. years. They have the target on their back. They're the ones that they have to adapt and learn quickly. And they have also learned just how important and fundamental it is to invest in this. Whereas you have new companies all the time joining and having their oh shit moment, like when they realize, oh shit, we don't get to keep our <laughs> keep all this money that we charged on credit cards happening all the time. And so there's this continual, you've got the leaders continually learning. But even there with the large ones, like they don't use the same terminology consistently. They're better about having similar equations actually, because usually for the same reasons, because they work out, but still (laughs) like, and they might be reporting to different departments within the organization. Their titles might be different, even if they're doing similar roles, some of the budget Mm. might come from different, but like, it's just, it's all still really, really young. Like the The floor is very open still, which is there is. Yeah. And I think something I've noticed consistently in working with lots of merchants, I feel like I've been saying this often because it just I every day I'm proven how big of a deal this is, is that there's not a one size fits all anything. Right. And Mm -hmm. you can see very, very clear differences between the type of solution that people use, that companies use. Is it rules based? Is it is it real time machine learning? Is it this, is it that, et cetera. And then on top of that, what additional levers or data points they want to use, just different types of things. You can see there's such clear delineation. So even though there's a ton of different ways that we do things, I think there really are starting to be clear best practices and the yeah. right way to do things. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and then also some of the trends coming from the fraud side become consistent as well. So one of the things we had in the survey was 75% of respondents reported that attempted fraud rates have increased within their organization in the past 12 months, which mm-hmm. is like, really very very consistent trend like 70 yeah. is significant so and then in the same way i felt was like almost as telling mm. we had the stretching of resources to cover that rise like mm-hmm. everyone's feeling a little bit tighter so we have budgets were going up 64 people did report budget increases so that is 64 percent right of the percent. yeah yeah and 67% reported that their team has increased in size. So like some of that budget increase, I think in many cases, must be going towards increased headcount, mm. which makes sense. But 32% of respondents saw fraud rates increase more than 25%. Only 19% of fraud budgets increased that much. So there mm. is this gap. And that was like fairly true across the data. Like there's this gap between how much fraud is rising and how many people are seeing it rise and also the amount extra that you're getting to cover it. So it's not that you're being ignored, but... You know, budgets are tight and everybody's having to kind of fight for scarce resources. And it's going up in many cases. The fraud is just going up more than you're getting the extra resources to cover. So in a way, I found that quite satisfying because I feel like I've been hearing it from so many people for the last, I don't know, nine months or so. Just that feeling of being a a bit stretched. Expected to do Like, well, you know, it's not just me. Right. Right. And that's 100%. And I think that I can see people being like, well, who are those 64% that got budget increases, right? (laughs) That's true. But to your point, we also asked how much their budget was increasing. And the there are those details in the report, right? So you can see that it was increasing by maybe the same amount that year over year, right? Like a 3% or a 4%. Right. And also you're considering inflation, which you need for headcount. So like, that 
those sorts of increases really very quickly kind of dissipate and you're still dealing with the increase in fraud. Yeah. And I think it's good for fraud providers to hear this too, right? I mean, I know a lot of salespeople are frustrated because it feels like there isn't as many much buying happening. You're right about that. However, I'm seeing in the the very select number of solution providers that I work with on this this piece is it it means you got to get better at at expressing your value proposition. There has to be a reason why, and it it can't just be a little bit, right? There's a there are a lot of nice to have products, but you need to be a need to have product. You know, you need to be, and you need to be able to show like, hey, we're going to cost less, and we're going to save you more, or we're going to, yeah, we might cost a little more, but we're going to save you way more. And this is where. I think that other oh, to go back to false positives, which I, I really ah, feel very oh strongly gosh. about. Or Please. we can, you know, help increase your approvals by significant amounts. Let's test this and see. Or yeah. just stop yeah, telling good questions. That, right? That's a really, really, oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because it actually changes what I was going to say here. I think for those people who are feeling, and it's almost everyone, is feeling like they're being expected to do more with less. First of all, yes, this shows clearly in data that you are. Second of all, We've now given you the statistics to go in and tell your bosses, yeah, everyone else is seeing fraud increasing. 75% of our peers in online commerce are seeing fraud increasing. Therefore, we need to increase our budget too. That's the first way you can now use that data to be able to say that. But third of all, and Gil Rosenthal and I did a really, I saw a really good episode on this like last summer, I think it was back in August, but it was essentially where are those couch cushions that you can look, look under. Yes. Either you more had, money. You or... had like a numbered list. I think you had five <laughs> points each of something and about three of them were actually very closely aligned. I was like, yes, that's because you're saying the things people really need to hear. Yeah. Yes. Right. Thank we you, thought, Gil. Well, gosh. Yeah. Oh, I just, yes, we both adore Gil equally. So great person to shout out. But yeah, I mean, because he's coming from the fintech side, I'm coming from the merchant side. Mm-hmm. But the but the whole thing is like, yeah, one of the biggest couch or one of the areas where couch cushions, so to speak, to find the loose change (laughs) is your false positives. Oh my gosh. If you're, if you're part of that 21% that doesn't measure it and doesn't think it matters, like, let me tell you. And then we had some really interesting conversations about that on the retailer call. I thought it was funny. Actually, I didn't, I don't think I brought up my podcast episode. Somebody else did and said, well, oh, I, I I was using an example that was on one of those episodes. And I was like, can you guess, you know, how much when this one merchant, I think it was on the third episode, this one merchant worked with their solution provider to create the ability to auto pass 5% of every, of all transactions that they were going to, that the solution provider was advising to cancel. Mm-hmm. So out of 100, five wow. get approved. Let's see what happens. Do mm-hmm. they turn into checks? Mm-hmm. And I said, does anyone know? Anyone want to take a guess on an over-under of what percentage they realized didn't come back as chargebacks? And so we're essentially being canceled in error or incorrectly. I don't think error is right or but incorrectly. And one guy said, I think it'd be cheating because I heard that on your podcast episode. No, well, that's <laughs> nice. And I was like, oh, it, I mean, it's so sweet. I was like, oh, okay, but you know, in case you didn't listen or in case you did hear that episode and you didn't, it was 90%, 90% of those orders that their fraud provider has been declining for the last two years since the last time they really did any assessment were never turned into chargebacks. What I was more frustrated about was that that fraud provider decided not to offer that product to anyone else working with them because they realized, oh, this makes us look bad. At least that is what I was told. Maybe that fraud provider has changed art. Maybe 
maybe they are doing it on the back end to try to improve, you know, their own performance. But this is the but biggest great help exa- ever, right? Seriously, like, that's a great example. If you can yeah. do some a test like that and then measure mm-hmm. it, and then a month later go into your your manager or your leadership's office and say, okay, this is the data. Fraud attacks mm-hmm. are rising. We have conducted this experiment. We know everybody's focused on the bottom line. We've conducted yes. this experiment. These are the results. If you give me X amount, and X is not usually that big, oh, then this please. is the kind of return that we can expect to see. Yes. That's a very yes. compelling business case. And that is exactly why we did the survey, right? Is for these reasons. Right. Of saying, okay, now we know that there's a lot. And there were a couple of other merchants on that call who spoke up and said, we, there was one that said, we did something similar where we just really looked at our manual reviews and all that. And we realized that, and they were outsourcing their manual review to a third party that primarily does call centers. So they don't specialize in fraud. And, mm-hmm. and we see this very often in this case, but they said, we realized that they were canceling 75% of good orders. And once we were able to make changes and train and, and do all that and Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on where you look at it, they had to change companies for this because they realized that mm. that company just wasn't wasn't yeah. equipped. And that happens a lot, right? There's a lot of companies who fraud is not their core competency, whether they're a payment processor or a call center, right? And or you're like, well, a, if they offer it and uh, it's convenient, it's much easier. It's to only have the one invoice, like, no. right? And fraud must be fraud. No, my goodness, no. And it is I, I, the, the horror stories I could tell on all of those fronts, but. Not the time. There probably will be soon because I am getting so tired of hearing these horror stories. Should do it the Halloween. You know, oh, sorry. If I can wait that long, I don't know if I can hold my tongue out. <laughs> but you're great. Yeah. So anyway, they they realized that and Fred Leader just said, I just encourage everyone to do it because we honestly thought like that we were on track, right? Like, okay, we tra- we train them. We trust them. Okay, let's go. And the yeah, results aren't terrible. Being, that's the thing. Until you test, oh, oh my gosh, don't yeah. realize how much oh, you're losing. there's not the feedback loop, right, that yeah. there is with chargebacks. So I think my point is, you know, you're talking about being expected to do more with less. Well, here's a way to find you more. You can. Yeah. Right? And, and that's really the thing today. Now, hopefully, you can find more without making major changes with your systems and everything else. However, it's so frustrating to me, but I would say almost every company that's providing fraud right now, fraud solutions, whether it is their core competency or not, has wiggle room on this. I know of only two companies that are fraud solutions that are actively trying to focus on approvals over declines and who are actively trying to continually improve their uh, their processes so that they're not just canceling fraud, they're canceling the right fraud, and they're approving more transactions. Only two out of all of them. And that's me talking to people all the time that use every solution. So, um, you know, and and you might be able to guess one of them based on, I don't know, the sponsor of this survey, because you and I are very picky about who we... (laughs) (laughs) who we work with but you know if that company chooses ever changes and is like "Eh, we think we're good we don't think we need to look at how we can improve and how we can be better then that might change it will definitely change because I, I well, know the amount of effort that goes into keeping it like that. Like, me too. You, yeah, okay. you like there is it. just no way. Like you take your eye off the ball for three months and like, no, crash. It's it's an oh, enormous amount of effort. It's very fun. I do. I do <laughs> enjoy this. I, that's very fun. But it's a lot of work. It is and a lot know, of work. We, we talked about this before. We talked about this a lot when we were putting the survey together because it was reflected mm-hmm. in, in several of the, the results. But it is something that I think fraud leaders don't see as part of their job in the same way that they don't see advocating and educating 
around their department as part of their job. They don't see arguing with their solution provider or keeping or checking on their work or encouraging them enthusiastically to be like a little bit more. What can we what what can we do next? Mm. But it, it is. This is not in the same way that rules are not set and forget. You would never apply that kind of approach to a rules engine or even to a machine learning model. Like you, you right. do not set and forget. No, rules. you can't do it with a provider either. Mm. And sometimes you'll get great answers back. And you know, yeah. wonderful. Enjoy, enjoy the experience. Enjoy the conversation, and then pass and the learning on in your company. Yeah. Right. Because, like really, like right. use it to advocate for your team for sure. Right. But don't take right. it for granted. Sometimes you mm. will not get good answers back. Or any answers. I mean, in a way, I feel like the if if all fraud companies were good at supporting their customers, giving them the right answers, helping them be better, helping their own company be better at this, I probably wouldn't have a consulting practice. So in a way, I guess I'm supposed to be great. <laughs> that but it's kind of like how all of us in fraud joke that like well i guess more fraud means more job security like i would rather not have that job security if everyone just did their own job but the fact i mean just the the nightmare scenarios of and it just blows my mind because i was a payment processor at one point i i have been on the vendor side to a certain extent and just not responding to your customers or not having the right answers or leaving them out an alert or Having so, no, those a, those are egregious. Well, yeah, having that that really is them. Oh yeah, having the unofficial reputation that you know when any company switches to your fraud tool, that they will be on the excessive chargeback monitoring list within the first two to three months. Like that's not good. And okay, so no, some practices are egregious, but right. like, and and I, I know we like to blame the payment processors, and we like to blame the solution providers because right. it's satisfying, and also because they annoy us sometimes. Well, I'm I do. I really, it's you true. It's true. But I really do think that and they take it, for granted the fact on, that it's hard to switch fraud it is providers. Hard switch. It like, is hard oh, to switch. Okay. Yep. This is. We'll just keep that. We don't have to do anything. We'll just keep bringing it all in. But you have Even a point. Even then, you see right the gap right. between the people who push their provider and insist, "Okay, yes, 100%. but I see this gap, and we need to do this, and we need to do more. And what have you got for this?" And mm -hmm. the people who just let it slide, and the gap is significant in terms of dollars, apart from anything else. Like it. You can Even make a very big difference provider. That's with the same really... provider. I mean, with the same provider. It, mm -hmm. it is. I know it's. it, it feels like it should not be that way. It's not fair. But mm -hmm. I really think it. it is also part of the job of a fraud leader to be willing to push back, even though that's mm -hmm. not always fun. And to keep people like up to the mark. Right. And, and like much yeah. as we enjoy blaming other people, this is I'm glad it, an industry yeah. thing. Something else I've noticed, and this is anecdotal, not from the survey, but it goes on par with this. And I think this should be listened to by solution providers just as much as merchants or the B2C fintechs, et cetera, is that the people who really push their fraud providers or any of their solution providers, but especially their fraud providers to be better. And if that fraud provider rises to the challenge, those are actually your best advocates for your tool. Those people are saying, wow, this company is great because they listen to me and everything else. Now, unfortunately, sometimes what happens is they assume that because the company is listening to them, they're going to listen to anyone else that they refer to go to that company because they're like, wow, they're listening to me. They're stepping up. When I hold them accountable, they're stepping up and they're doing you know, what, what we demand of them, what we ask of them. So I feel good enough to you know, suggest this to my peers. And as you will read in the survey, and I don't know if we mentioned it in this episode or if we'll be mentioning it in this episode, but you will know in the survey that we asked 
you know, what's most impactful when you're trying to select a new solution provider. And one of the biggest ones was peers, your, your peers experiences with them, because people recognize the trust is broken. We can no longer believe what a solution provider says that their tool is going to do and how it's going to be. We need to ask the people who are already using it. Well, I see this all the time where there's like a couple of super users who hold their, their solution providers very accountable. And, and to your point, they should be. So they love the solution provider, but then somebody else gets it and they just kind of think, okay, well, I'm just going to trust them or I'm just going to let them lead and, you know, whatever. And then they're like, I don't understand why that person liked them so much. So again, I know we've had this, we've had previously had this conversation before, which is why you will find it in the survey when you download it, which I encourage you to do. But I I also do think that it's on the person asking the questions Mm -hmm. to ask for the details as well. Like you should treat this like a fraud investigation. Yes. Like don't, don't just say how, how was it? And they say, yeah, yeah, it's great. I love them. And then you Mm. go and choose them. No, like. Oh my this, gosh. Is, this is a really, really oh major decision. Ask the questions. Ask how much you need to keep Boring. them to scratch. Yes. Ask how, how responsive are they? How quickly do they move on things that you're pushing on? Is it always coming from you or does it also come from them? Like it, this is this is your, are your they work. Are to build new products right for you? Right. Yes, for sure. Like that yeah. is a major thing. Oh my gosh. We have 65% of respondents, right, said that a new use case, if their existing provider failed, that would mm-hmm. cause them to look closely at competitive products or for additional yep. layers of protection. Massive deal. Like the fact that peer relationships are crucial in choosing, and that was 69%, by the way. 69% mm-hmm. of respondents said peer wow. recommendations are a significant factor. That's crazy. I mean, really, like if you need proof, solution providers, this this is for you. If you need proof that it matters what your people think about you, here you go. If your customers like you, that will be very, very powerful. Yes. If you give them cause not to, everybody is going to hear about it. Carice has been saying this for at least the last two years on the podcast, <laughs> but now there's data. Yes. Yes. So I there have been there so long. Like, trust me, they talk to their peers and they it's unvarnished and as it should be, right? Because I honestly, like, and I don't want to get into like a whole economic thing of like capitalism versus socialism or anything like that, because every system has its pluses, minuses, and everything else. However, I will say a lot of times what people say for capitalism is, well, the market can make the decision, right? The market will decide if a company is doing their best to provide a service or not. The challenge in fraud is the market can't always decide, right? You can't always get budget. And unfortunately, there have been too many providers who have made business decisions that say they're not going to move. We know they're not going to move. So we don't have to be good. And And so, yeah, yeah. And that's where I get so frustrated. I mean, some companies are very lucky about my policy of not saying names because I'm getting so tired of hearing the same thing about some of them over and over and over again and not feeling like they like it matters. Right. So I guess my point is, though, that we are seeing it in the data now that more than ever, because I can tell you 10 years ago. Yeah. Merchants always ask their peers, hey, what do you think about these guys? Does anyone use these guys? Whatever. But it didn't matter as much as it does now when they realize not a, not many of us can do a live POC. So we have to go on trust and faith right. of what solution provider says they're going to do and provide. But we've learned the hard way that we can't trust that. So now we're going to go to our peers who are using them every single day and ask, what's your experience? I have seen massive deals blow up because of these. I've also seen massive deals for the companies that are 
just doing even what we would expect the bare minimum to be on taking care of their customers, responding to an email, having people who answer the questions and who support your customers who actually understand this industry and who aren't just giving blanket answers for everyone or who, you know, it shouldn't be hard, but it, it is. So but those are the questions that you need to be asking. Like you can't expect the person you ask for a review to give you the things that yeah. you care about. Maybe the things you care about are different to the things they care about. You need to be right. the one who's on top of asking. And clearly I, everyone does. Like 70% of people who are already actually looking for something. This isn't mm -hmm. people who are like, oh, like, right. you know, you know, how, how's your frauds? Right. right. How, yeah. How's your frauds you're doing at the moment? Which we do because, you know, it's fun gossip. This isn't that. This is people who are actually actively looking. And that's great, yeah. but you need to be responsible for your own search. I'm glad you're saying that because I do get, I am hard on the solution providers because they are the common denominators, right? And because I do feel Fair. like I hear the same things about the same ones and it's frustrating. Like I, I got to the point when I was responsible for conference content uh, for a conference before where if somebody told me what their pain points were and what, what topics they wanted to learn about on a session, I could guess in two guesses which fraud solution they used. That's not like, that's not a superpower I want to have, but it is, right? Like, okay, you have high manual reads and high false positives. You either use these guys or those guys. Now, unfortunately, if it's that, it's probably like within five guesses, but that, so that is my frustration because it's there. I also know of a couple of solution providers that have told their, their prospects that they don't have to give them. So a prospect has said, hey, I'd love to talk to one or two of your customers. And the solution provider has said, yeah, we, we don't do that. We don't, we don't provide that. And I was like, well, okay, then go to their website and see who they brag uses their solution and then contact them on LinkedIn or Chances are I'm probably connected to them. I, I used to be able to provide these so many more, much more than I used to, than I can now at all. I really can't just, you know, hey, who uses these guys? Oh, I know these guys and those guys. But that's also why it's important to network and, you know, to join communities. There might be one soon that will be big on that. But, you know, there's others that exist now too. But I just want to like put an exclamation point on your point, Shoshana, that while I am, I default to blaming the solution providers, you're absolutely right that the people we have seen that have kind of become the the leaders in the data and also externally just you know knowing them are the people who take their own destiny in their own hands. They are right. the ones that are don't take no for an answer or don't take no answer for, to the and they understand their power. They understand well we have we pay you a lot of money you know if we and I have seen that happen more than a few times where a solution provider finally or a merchant finally gets to the point where they're like look. We want to inform you that we're, we're going out for RFP. We're not happy with XYZ. And all of a sudden their provider shapes up. It's amazing what they can do. Yeah. Right. But do it when they know you're serious. The thing is, is that if you don't act serious, they don't think you're serious. And, but that, but that's data too, right? Like how is the only way you, they'll do something if you like threaten them with leaving? Okay. Well, that's good information for you to have too. Maybe if everybody holds them to a higher standard, maybe they'll have to meet it. Maybe that's, and that was, I think, my point with capitalism, right? Like, maybe, is, right. I think a lot of it is knowing your own data and being willing yeah. to like really stand oh, right. it. Yeah. No, I know, mm -hmm. like, I know these are my results and I know now what the benchmark is in the industry and I'm mm. not happy. I'm not threatening yeah. to leave. I like, like, I like the relationship. There are many good things about this. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean, 
other than a small oily fish in the herring family. Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. But this is the situation, and now I, now we need to work out, okay, what are the steps that we're going to take to improve this? We mm, expect to mm -hmm. see X improvement in the next three months and four months and six months. Mm, mm -hmm. And then if you don't, okay, then it's time to start thinking about maybe maybe I'm going to move. But you don't have to take the nuclear option to get them to, mm. you know, to actually start stepping up. I mean, maybe you do, and then like that, that, that is, as you say, very valuable information. But often not. Like mm. you, you have data. You, you're a fraud analyst. You know what to do with data. You know yeah. how to get it. You know how to make it work. It's a good place. Yeah. You know, like, you know what's going on. And if you don't, you can find out. So, mm. like, you can act on this. I think that was really a theme from the, the previous episode as well. That we talked about you have much more control than you think you do. It's, mm -hmm. it's actually kind of scary, but also really very heartening. Yeah, it, it really is. Right. And you're right. These are things that I knew because I've been in I've been so lucky to be in the room in these conversations and these are things that you know because you've been lucky to be in the room in these right. conversations too but to be able to have data to say hey this is what's most important and you're right we can't just the other thing to know is that just because one solution works for one company doesn't mean it'll work for someone mm -hmm. else. And mm -hmm. you're right, asking those specific examples, right? When something goes wrong, how do they help or or how long does it take you to pull a report? This is a Oh my gosh, yes. Also with your payments people. Yes. Whatever payments oh providers you're using. And actually, there you know is... what? All of the same remarks on your payments providers. <sighs> They're probably not giving you the Beyond. best people that they Mess. could be. Really go back to them. Right for your fraud. But mm, that's a current frustration of mine right now is there's at least one where if you want to know how many orders your team has manually reviewed this month, the only way to do it is to download every single order that's been manually reviewed. You can only do it. No. In, oh, I'm not done, unfortunately. You can only do it in a thousand at a time. 
and it takes forever for those thousand. Then you have to copy and paste it into Excel just to get the number of how many. Then you have to look at the timestamps to make sure that there aren't any that are duplicated, right? So there's a, like okay, so they're not all in enterprise order. ready is I think what I'm and hearing. And then you have to. Yeah, then you have to total it up. And that's how you get the number of orders that your team has manually reviewed this month. If you want the rate, well, now you have to go look for the number of transactions that have been passed, not just authorized, but approved. You need to have those separated. I would be willing to bet that just by me saying that much, there are a lot of people that know exactly who I'm talking about. And the fact that this company is very much targeting enterprise enterprise merchants and saying, hey, a fraud solution is a fraud solution. You might as well use ours because of other benefits and other things that can go with it because we offer more than one service for online. We can do everything for online commerce platform. If it's that manual. The sh amount of time that you are going to waste on yes. that. Never mind. Do you know how many CEOs and executives are asking for that? Well, how many of these are you reviewing? What? How many are you reviewing an hour? Da, 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 whatever. Yes. That's your salary. Like the oh time that you just yes. spent doing that ridiculous hack and like a well done for that coming up with the hack but the hmm. amount of time you just wasted on that yeah could you bought with that I honestly thought, like, yeah oh my gosh and right you got paid for and you need yes. to do that every right. month don't yes. do that every month either I'm actually, but then that's yeah. a good example I've instructed either, this client to like, track that right how many hours yeah. are this month because the month is ending this next month. How many hours are you spending on these manual things? Because I know for a fact that not every broad provider, not even every payments provider has these types of things. And the fact that I, I reached out to four or five other merchants that I know have had to use this fraud solution for at least a, at least a small part, like one geography or two geographies mm -hmm. of their company, if not all geographies, and said, hey, there's got to be a better way, right? And they're like, nope. And that's, that is just no. one example no. of one report there. Every report is painstakingly difficult to get. And even then you don't know if it's accurate or not, because you're just trying to figure it out. The fact that this provider has not tried to make this better or change over the last five years that they've been getting this complaint, at least from one of the companies was like, I've been saying this for five years. I'm like, oh my gosh. So That's, at this point, oh my gosh, yeah. the amount of time, yes, which is the also amount of time Yes. Do you know how much time they could have been spent working on responding to chargebacks and trying to get money back or you know, working on the, saving you money in the future, increasing customer experience, like, well, yeah, priorities, oh, you know, your false report. positives, looking like, at how many you're oh canceling in a year, which is a lot on this, like those, that's why I complain. Right. But in this case, for those merchants who have gone to the vendor and said, hey, we need this, we need this, we need this. And the vendor keeps hearing it over and over again and isn't doing anything. Like I said, that's data. Is this the type yeah. of partner that you deserve yeah. for the size of your business? And not just the size of your business right now, but how can you guys get bigger and better? How can you, you know, how can the company go to the next level if you are having to spend this much time like at a high level position in yep. leadership yep. doing these manual things and not just that, but you know, if your approvals and your and your declines and your chargebacks are not in a good place, you are holding up your company from going to that next step. So and obviously because of something that's not really. in your control, which is yes. like really, really unfair. And this kind Very of also much. that's that's not like a niche thing where you're like, well, really only a tiny percentage of companies need oh, to oh. know this sort of thing. This is manual mm -hmm. reviews. Forty three percent of people, by the way, forty three percent of respondents, we do have this data, run yes, do. all of their manual reviews in house. Mm -hmm. All of their manual reviews in house. So <laughs> everybody right. needs to know this stuff. And then like so we have eighteen percent with the ministry in house and outsourcing. Need they need that report too. Everyone needs this report.
Like, exactly. If, and like, if, 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 if this if is only one doesn't report. Care about only, mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Exactly my point. Like, yeah, this is only one report of many that are needed like this. But that was one that I was like, are you kidding me? What? Huh? And then for it not to matter to them, I mean, sure, it might be a little bit of a lift, but think of how much money they're getting from your company times all the other companies. Like if that isn't important to your vendor, if they're not listening to you to hear why is that important? And oh, by the way, you're probably manually reviewing a lot more orders using that one provider than you would others anyway. But if 43%, like that's a ton of people who they need that data, right? So if they're the not doing centers, that, right. Even now if you're doing a mixture, zero, everyone needs exactly. support. Right. But at the same time, I get the point of the people who are like, yeah, I've had to do it, but I just sucked it up because I feel like no, my leadership no, 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 no. care. No, no, like, no. I know. You, you, it's okay to hour, expect more. Times your amount, times this, times that, yeah. and say, if yeah, it yeah. could just get, if we could just switch to a provider, I don't care if the accuracy, well, we should care that the accuracy is better. And if you're should, changing like, anyway, that wasn't, you could look at the accuracy as well. You better, and it's not that hard, but if it's not that hard to be better than some of these solutions, and this is why I get frustrated is I know these solution providers are hearing over and over and over again, this is a pain point. This is a pain point. How can you help me? How can you help me? And it's falling on deaf ears. Now, whether that's whether that information is getting up to leadership or not, I don't know, but that's up to the company culture to do that. But for True. those merchants who are feeling that way, now it's up to you to quantify it to your bosses. You can't just tell your leaders, mm-hmm. oh, these reports are really manual. Because they don't know what that means. They can't do anything with that information. If you can say, hey, we are currently manual reviewing X percent of our orders. You know how I know that? Because I spent nine hours pulling a report because it takes 20 minutes for each thousand rows of manual review to do it. Or just ask somebody to shadow, you know, ask the CEO or whoever your boss is. I'd love to have one of your admins or one of the reporting, the biz dev people or somebody just shadow me and see how I'm pulling this report and see if there's a better way to do something internally in our company. Maybe they could automate it. What's going to happen is they can try. It is really hard to automate data on the merchant side with data that has from the provider. But I guarantee you what's going to happen is they're going to go back to that leader and go, oh my gosh, it is 2023. (laughs) No one should be spending this much time doing this. Like there's got to be a better way. So, you know, instead of just, yes, and it goes with everything else you said, Shoshana, today, I'm glad you're saying it. 85% of fraud solution providers do not make you do that. There definitely is a better way of doing it. I know. So this one I'm also, I really like That was my pet peeve this week because I couldn't, I thought, okay, well, maybe it's just this one company. Oh, no, no, no. It's everyone who uses this provider. They're the common denominator. And this is just a one-off, Yeah, but it's not a common denominator among Right. Because this is a say. Don't do that to your people. Right. And like, yeah, if everybody did that, right? I know. So I think your point is sometimes we do get complacent, right? Sometimes we just think, okay, that is the way things are. And we only try to fix the things that we think are in our control, which is what's right in front of our face. Well, no, you know what? So I I review far fewer, right? Like that's in my control. I can make sure we don't review as many. And like, and we saw that also, like that trend is playing out. That was really cool, actually. That was nice to see 67% of respondents. They reviewed less than 5% of transactions. That's like, that's so yes. cool. We've, like, we've I know, come so I far. Know. And you we spend know. so much more time investigating like the deep dive and analysis and trends and like really making things better, like high yes. level and, and really making an impact because you have 
compatibility. Even with the 5%, you're going to need the same report and it's going to take you forever to download it. Yeah. I mean, you will have less lines to download if you focus on that. But yes, right. I think too often we just focus on what we think is in our control, but what we don't understand is just like how the customers that call your customer service often get the customers right or the customer, you know, that that should be important. You are the customer in this scenario. And if the providers don't want to do it, well, then you need to take the steps to concrete. Mm-hmm. Of, okay, I'm going to track how much time I take. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to figure all this out. And if the solution provider doesn't want to change what they're doing, then I need to focus on what I can change, which is to use the data of this report to tell your leadership, this is not normal. Like this Mm -hmm. is not. And if you are manual reviewing 25% of your orders, because that's how many are being referred to you by your provider, then you can also tell your leadership, hey, it actually looks like the majority of the industry is only manually reviewing less than 5% of their transactions now. The fact that we're manually reviewing 20% more than that, that means that we can change. It means that there's room for improvement. If there's not room for improvement on what we're using now, yes, it's a huge opportunity. And it doesn't mean that you need to get rid of your team either. There are so many things I have talked I mean, I think it was when I think Alan Buck, as who was at Bed Bath & Beyond, and Jenna Posner at Snipes, they've both talked about how they went from this, you know, reactive, always doing manual review, always feeling like they were mm-hmm. behind and triaging things. It's so now working with a provider that, yeah, that where they don't have as much, or if they have any manual review or their data, but they've said not only have they kept their, their teams, they've been able to level up those teams and help right. them be more like successful for the company and also get more skills under their, their belt so that they can get better jobs. Like it's, I think too often there's fear of change and like, well, if for we sure. don't have any if we only had 5% of manual review, what would I do with the other 20 people on my team that I really love? Well, they can be cross-trained. And instead of doing the same thing every single day, they can learn new skills. And that's even better for them in the long run. And better for the company as well. I was mm-hmm. having, who was I having this conversation with recently? It was with Galit, Galit Michel, who, actually, who's yes. also at, at Forza no, now. Different Galit, um, yes. But no, um, was that, um, no different one not Gilit Galit she's a force now she was at a bunch of interesting companies previously and she was describing an experience she'd had with a company who were just shocked because when they changed things they were doing like less far less of the manual aspect but they had way more to do that was much more interesting because Mm. the overall pie was larger yes yes like you just there's a lot more going on and the company loves you because there's more orders being approved so therefore there's more data and it's so much more interesting right Mm -hmm. no one wants to be bored so but that's also what I, we saw in that transitional state right and that's what we yeah talking very about. much so why we talked about it on tuesday's yeah, episode it genuinely was- this is what we've been seeing over and over again is individual companies as well as our industry moving from the three stages of fraud yeah. prevention. The first stage is, oh shit, we have chargebacks. We need to just focus on chargebacks. We need to lock down everything else. It, we're not even going to look at our approval right now because we just need to focus on getting those chargebacks yeah. down. The second is, ooh, we need to have a balance between the approvals and the chargebacks. How many people are we like losing money to? But then how can we get more customers who we aren't? referring to our competitors for life. Can we, you know, mm-hmm. keep them in house? Can we, you know, have more a lot less calls to our customer service of people trying to prove that they're them? Because that that can really put a strain on your customer service department internally when you're canceling a lot of orders. Of course you're gonna have customers call in yes, you're gonna have a few fraudsters mixed in. But a lot of times you'll find that they're good customers. And some of us know, okay, not all customers call in, but I've heard, I've had merchants do tests on this and they found that it's not just like 
two or three times as many people that call in are actually the ones impacted. It's more like 10, 15, 20 times, right? So if you have 10 customers calling in, it's probably more like 150 or 200 customers who had, you know, I have literally never called in ever. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, me neither. I I don't call people. It's yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. Exactly right. Yep. So, you know, that's a point, right? Like those are the people we don't know. So like focusing on that. And then the third one is this, this last one where it's like, hey, we're going to be a little more proactive. We're going to be more strategic. We're going to be more high level. We're going to focus on the whole customer experience. We're not going to be bogged down by just looking at chargebacks and just looking at this and doing manual. We're going to be holistic and look at the entire customer journey and where it will impact everything else. Oh my gosh. Yes. And that's you get things like dynamic 3D secure and dynamic step up where not everyone's getting step up, just the people that are extra risky. Not everyone's getting 3D secure, just the ones where your provider says, hey, you might get a little extra lift or this bank doesn't participate. So you'll get the extra liability ship, but you do it on everybody and you're going to have this massive decline rate and this massive fraud rate at the same time. That's where I think team has more to do like that's that's interesting and it's more and it's more collaborative you're not working in silo anymore you're integrated within your organization it's interesting and it's far better for your customers you are able to provide experience that other companies are just not able to provide yes i think there's there's a lot of fear that's why the big guys are big because yes, mm-hmm. like that it is a genuine change and you are giving up something and to an yeah. extent i think you feel like you're giving up control because you have this thing that you're very confident mm-hmm. in you know how it works yes. and you're going to try something new which is actually more difficult and mm. does involve you know trying new things and maybe you won't get it all right probably the first time you won't get it right mm-hmm. which is okay mm-hmm. right and it involves maybe talking to people about what you do and why it matters and why it's complicated and how mm. you could interact with them in new ways and how mm-hmm. payments and customer support and fraud are all actually very very tightly connected in important ways yeah and how you can change that and make it better for everybody including the business including your customers and that is that is big and and complicated mm. and maybe scary but mm. it makes your team so much more impactful and so mm. much more valued within your company mm-hmm. and we know that because of the people that we talk to and because we do you know just like you said with you know people who get good at just looking at a piece of art and knowing it's a forgery like mm-hmm. i can talk to a, a fraud leader for five ten minutes and know kind of where they are in their journey and those people who are really at the forefront those are the companies that are the biggest too and i don't think that there is that that's an accident now they might start doing these things for a smaller company but oftentimes sure. now they're gathering this data and then they're going to the bigger companies going hey you know how one voice basis point is equal to a hundred million dollars for you? Well, I reduced for I did this, this, this for this, and they're getting those bigger jobs. It's good for your it's so good for your professional development too to go to that next state. But you're right. Sometimes the uncomfortable is comfortable because you know it, because you know yeah. all those workarounds and those little hacks and those things with the the challenging things. Or okay, well, I know manual review and I know it works. Well, do you? Like, have you done a test lately? Like I've told I've told that story so many times about when I was pressured to put in an accept and watch button. I was terrified. I was so mm. indignant. Like, absolutely not. Every single order that my team cancels is fraud. I know that for a fact. Oh, no. My favorite thing I, about this is that you were I, watching it like a hawk afterwards. I like, was. Of course I was. <laughs> this is my favorite bit. Of course I was. And it was manual because it was 2008 or nine, not because it was. 20- so it was manual. I had to like 
pull a report and then look up each account and see chargeback get, chargeback get. And yeah, of course I was watching it like a hawk because I wanted to be right. I wanted to be able to show them in the data that I was right. And unfortunately, the data showed me that like 60 to 80% of those orders that my team was canceling weren't actually fraud. Yeah, they were risky. But so what? Like that, we had to also realize that fraud had changed, right? What looked like fraud a year ago when I taught my team how to look at those things was not what it looked like now because we'd put more things in place. So the fraudsters had adapted. So when we were looking at what fraud look, we were judging today's orders by yesterday's standards, we were we had too wide of a net. It wasn't surgical enough. Yeah. So, I mean, I already messaged you, hey, we should probably skip the chargeback section. I will talk about that another time because we just dive in and we get so excited about this. But I feel like also I the chargeback section is a natural episode for you. Because I heard out anyway. Yeah. That's why I figured. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, yeah, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't give you as much room to talk because I would just think, I'm not on purpose just because I nerd out so bad. So um, there would be no point. Like if you actually have the episode on, like you have the expert on the episode, like really, why bother? Nerd out so bad. But so I will dive into chargebacks on a future solo episode for sure. But I think we need to touch on one more thing before we end this, because this was actually my favorite thing that I got excited about when we had the answers by far. I mean, I was so excited that I sent screenshots to a few people Even <laughs> before we were like releasing it. I did get permission from Porter, but I was like, oh my gosh, I can't like, I have to share this because we included a question on compensation because we know that you want to know and you need to know. And this was a time to ask, right? We want data on our industry. I will say very quickly and very like, very, very clearly, this is a first step. I have tried to get mm -hmm. questions like this into multiple surveys over the years. And I've been told absolutely not. Either no one will answer it or we won't have enough information to break it up by geography and by this and by that. And all the things that are statistically, you know, to be able to have enough answers to be statistically relevant. So the first thing we wanted to know was, will people answer this question? And so knowing that only one person per company filled it out, knowing that they're mostly the leaders, they're the ones who own fraud, this still gives us really good information. And we broke it up by tenure and by title, which title is a little more squishy, as we know. But Shoshana, what did you, like, what was your biggest takeaway from that? Honestly, my biggest takeaway was the it's really strong intuition that we both had that if you asked people something that they really wanted to know, they would be willing to share it, even if it's kind of sensitive, because mm -hmm. they are willing to contribute to the community and give and get. And this turned yeah. out to be true. Every single person who answered yes. the survey... Build this in. Now, not with I'd rather not ask, which was an option. Thank you. Yeah, everybody. or I'd rather not answer. Yeah, 100%. Thank you, guys. And it was triple blind, and we did try to make sure everyone mm -hmm. knew that. But, you know, a lot of times people say it's anonymous and it's not. So, you know, that, that wasn't it. It was, I think it was also because we included that in the question. So in addition to, you know, asking, like, what is your annual base salary in U.S. dollars? We said, we're asking, like, we hope that you'll answer this because you want to know the answer, right? Like, mm -hmm your salary should be included in this so that it contributes to the average. And I think for the most part, I wasn't too surprised by the responses. I'm not going to go through the dollars and, and all that. I think that that's something that that's a reason to download the report. And I forgot to say it at the beginning of this episode, but it is Thursday. Therefore, we know for sure that we're, we are recording this in the future, but we know for sure that this survey is downloadable now and the, hey. the show notes. So, so, so we need drum rolls and champagne corks no. popping. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And like the, yeah, the celebratory. So many music. months in the making. Yes. 
Yeah, we started. I wrote the contract in November of 2022, I think. Or was it actually, we started talking about it in October. But I think November was when we really got into it. So it's been a while. And I, it, like all things, took us longer than we thought it would. But I mean, like we said on the last one, we wanted to be intentional. If Forder was investing as much money as they were, if we were investing as much time as we were, if you were all investing as much time as you were to answer the questions or to help us, you know, when we were asking the questions to make sure that it was universally understood and we were providing enough information so that we get like answers for each one, we wanted this to be right. And so yeah, I think the biggest thing that I learned from beyond the fact that everybody filled it out, which I felt really vindicated. I mm-hmm. have, Me too. this is very similar to what we were saying at the beginning of the episode where fraud managers, we don't have data to back it up. So we're like, but I know this is going to happen. Like I was that way working on multiple surveys in different contexts throughout my career saying, I know that people want to know this. Like this is the number one question I'm asked either for people for themselves, like what's fair for me to ask for, for a position or I'm bringing on a new person and I want to compensate them fairly. And my, our hope is that we can do a standalone survey on this sometime and I will need to have a sponsor step up that we feel comfortable working with. We'll need we'll need everybody to fill that out then because we'll we'll need a lot more than just one person per company. Well, I think I've figured out how to do that, but needing salary ranges and things like that because we want to be you geography. We want to break it up by how many years and and what you're doing in your role, right? Do you does your role include chargebacks? Does it include payments? Does that make a difference? How does one question I really want to know because I think I know the answer, but again, validating is is your company digital first or not? Because mm-hmm. I think a difference on salary and overall compensation. If a company is online first. Oftentimes they care and understand the importance of fraud and or trust and safety a little bit more than a brick and mortar company does. On the other hand, I'd also like to see age of not necessarily company, but age of fraud team in there. Ah, Because we saw like the tenure thing was so strong, like stronger than I was expecting. Obviously, people earn more as they have been in the industry for longer and are more expert, of course. But it was Mm. like it was a really strong trend in the data and like mm. very notable. I, I wasn't sure it was going to be as much as it was. And I would be very interested to see if there's some kind of impact there where you're like, well, the company's had a fraud team for 15 years. So they're very, very aware of how complex this is and how important this is. And right. so that kind of translates yes. also within how long you've been in the role and how much experience you've had. And there's an impact there versus a company that's kind of freaking out because like, oh, tracks are, are a problem and we yeah. need to get this under control back in, in stage one of our, our transitional phase. Right. Yeah. And they probably move someone from customer service to fraud and that person Often. probably just has like a lead or a manager title when at any other company they would have a senior manager or director role if it was a more mature team. So that's a really good point. Right. That was actually also very interesting in itself. Like the the title did not correlate. That was so that was surprising to me and not to you. Because I remember yes. you were like, nah, that, this that, is, it's not it's we'll, we'll put it in there because you're interested, but it's not going right. to matter. Because there's yeah. no consistency. And you, this one you were right about. There is no consistency. We're a very young industry. Title apparently just doesn't mean very much. It depends more on the company than on you. Hundred percent. Oh absolutely. I do think though that there is some there is some agency here, just like you said with other things, right? I mean our hope is that people can look at this and say, okay, I've been in this industry for four to six years and, and okay, the mm-hmm. you know majority of people are, I'm just going to pick one. The majority of people are between 75 to 125,000 base in the US. If I'm not there, they need to be. And then the other thing is being able to advocate for yourself and say, 
hey, yeah. these are all the reasons why I deserve to be called a director now or a senior manager. Because then we know the next time you go for another role, if you were a senior manager before, you might have more more leverage to be in a higher role next time. Now, granted, if you're going from a small company to a large company, a director at one company is going to be a manager somewhere else. But a lot of times what ends up happening is when your fraud team is so young, that person, the highest person in the company in fraud is probably meeting with the executives. I was, but I was just a manager. I was finally given a senior manager title at the end, but like that really was a vanity thing because there was a freeze on salary. But anyway, this is, we hope that this is just as exciting to you guys as it is to us, to our knowledge. It's the very, very first time that this question has even been asked because like we said at the beginning, a lot of surveys are not written by or for you. They're written for you, but not by you. And so they're not asking the questions that they know that they think you guys need to know, or they're not asking you. And that's a whole other thing, but we know how important this is. So that's really what we, I just really hope that people see this as the gift that we think of it is in that at the same time, if you guys are listening to this and you've seen the report and you're like, it wasn't that groundbreaking, like, please tell us. We want to know how we can get better next year. But I already know from the few people that I've sent just a couple of the somebody asked me about approval rates the other day. And I was like, I actually have data for that. And I said <laughs> it to them, oh, my gosh, this is the most helpful thing I've ever. And I'm like, yes. Take it, save it on your desktop or your drive or whatever it is, just so it's easily accessible. And then the next time you are asked, because it happens like really way more often than is reasonable in many companies, the next time somebody asks you for the benchmark, you're like, oh, well, what does everyone else do? Yeah. And they expect you to have it right away, right? It's like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I might be able to take this number from this survey and that number from that survey, but I don't even know if it's reliable. Yeah. So we're just so excited. Shoshana, quick takeaways for you. What were things that you just, want to highlight before we what were your key takeaways over this whole experience i know that's asking us to like boil the ocean but you know, so i, ha- I, think, I think i have sure i do lot, have a few yeah oh my gosh i have a few things that stood out for me from the survey and then i have one thing that i just want people to take away with them and from it so from the survey deep analysis of root causes like essential and apparently not always standard so really like really dig into things bring that fraud investigation mindset to the entire customer life cycle including post-checkout like you could make things better in many ways also educate leadership and other departments in your company the more they value the more you educate them the more they will value you the more they will value you the more they will Mm -hmm. want to give you and work with you and just the easier and more pleasant the experience will be for everybody and definitely the more impactful tech side do not accept lack of innovation it's not so like you, you do not need to be a victim here. If you have Internal new use cases, or both, but like especially ex- externally, if you have new use cases, there is some kind of solution. You can build it, you can buy it, you can improve. If it's if you have existing use cases that you need to tweak and your solution provider is not doing a good enough job, push them until they do better. This is on you, but it, there is so much room to improve. You really like, you can talk to your peers, you can find out what's working, you can find out what doesn't work. You can work out the steps that you need to take to get where you want to be. You have control here. Things can get better. Yes. Like don't don't accept mediocrity. And the trend wise, like fraud prevention really is shifting. Like the whole customer journey is becoming part of the conversation in the way that approval rates was becoming part of the conversation, I don't know, seven years ago, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you're not ready to start doing it now, okay, but start thinking about it now because that really yeah. is where we're heading. And it's really, really interesting. I think if you start thinking about it, you'll find small ways you can kind of start shifting in that direction and testing things, maybe in a like sandbox way 
first, like with a small yeah. percentage of transactions. It's really interesting. I, I would I would really encourage people to start embracing this mindset, even if you're not ready to fully act on it. And like my one takeaway that I really, really want people to get from this, you have more control than you think. If you look at these numbers no, no. and you think like, oh, actually, I'm doing really well. Fantastic. Use it. Yeah. Make sure that people value what you're doing. You're doing brilliantly. Yes. Make sure people know about it and then yeah, use that to get yeah. to the next level. Yes. If you look at some of the numbers and you're less comfortable, this is an opportunity. Do not be upset by it. Like you are not the only ones. You can see that. Mm. You are a very good company. And it's often not your fault that things are the way they are. This is an opportunity now to work out where to go next. And there yeah. are many, many ways to make what happens next better. Mm. And you'll feel great about it. Oh, I love that. You know, this is why we knew that this was important, right? Is in order to move forward as an industry, what do we need? Well, we first need data to be able to advocate for what we need and understand where we're at and bring the rest of the company with you, right? And explain that to them. I think, like you said, educating leadership in your company and other departments in your company is so critical. And it's something that I think too many of us, it's easy and it makes total sense why some we are going to have days where we're like, God, they should know this or why doesn't anyone understand this or they should, you know, my provider should know what I need and my leadership and the other. And you might be right. Why fraud matters. You probably are right. <laughs> to your point, that is up to you to do it, right? Just like no one manages your career, but you like no one's going to manage this. No the one perception. is going to. Yes. Right. No one's going yeah. to change their perception of fraud overnight unless you explain it to them. And you have to start with the basics and you have to say, this is why it matters. It matters because of the liability shift. This is how much it costs us. This is where we are. And then compare it, right? So using this report, we want this to be an active living, like a document that you can continually use to help you do your job better, to help your team too, right? Understand where you are now and where you want to go. So take stock of your metrics, right? How are you in relation to the rest of the industry? We provided all of the math equations that we provided in the survey to, for people to get, compare their apples to other people's apples, essentially. Calculate that, show it, right? Use graphs, take the time. And I know it's hard when you are in the trenches and when you're in that first or second state, when you're triaging every day and you're canceling lots of orders and dealing with manual review and everything else, but take the time to start to track yourself and met, show create a slide deck, right? Of like why Fred matters, what it is, and then where you are compared to the rest of the industry, where you are compared to companies of your size. We do want to get to the point where we can, the second or third annual fraudology survey will have benchmarks by vertical. There were a lot of reasons why we couldn't this time, and I don't think we got into it, but you, that's not as important as where you are size-wise in my perspective. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit of differences between luxury goods and digital goods and whatever, but not as much as you think. So explain that to your leadership too, right? If they're like, well, where are we compared to luxury brands that sell shoes sizes five to 12? Well, we don't have those specifics, but size is actually the, most, the, the biggest thing that's going to make us, is going to be good to compare with our, our peers because we're all in the same boat, essentially. Uh, there's more things that you have in common with companies of your size than you do of companies in your vertical. That's what I'm saying. Also use this knowledge, yeah, to impact your strategy for the year, right? Like where can you improve? Where where do you maybe need less emphasis? Use the data to promote what, you know, where you're doing well to your management. Tell it like my husband and I have joked over the years because he works for a, you know, large organization. I mean, when he was a manager, he learned that, you know, you first, it's kind of the compliment sandwich, right? You start out with, you're doing a lot of things right. And then you have to come up with a few things they're doing right. And then, but here's all the things you're doing wrong. Well, start that off in your, 
in your deck, right? Like here's where we're doing really well, but here's the things that we really need to work on. And then here's like you said at the very beginning, Shoshana, come with your list of suggestions, right? Here's where we want to be, or here's where we are. This is where everyone else is. Here are different ways to get there. Uh, we need to have a provider that provides us with reports that we can just pull in real time and have the right information. We need to reduce this. We need to do that, et cetera. Maybe there's things you can do internally, right? It's not always about changing technology, though it makes more of a difference than it used to. And then use the data to promote your team too, right? It's not just about you, the leader. It's about what your team is doing. Help with team morale and help show them where they're at. They want to know how they can improve too. Ask them for help, right? Like, hey, we're not really where I'd want to be compared to everyone else of our size. Like, what are some ways that we can that we can get there? You might be surprised. Sometimes that's my biggest secret weapon as a consultant is asking the quiet person in the corner, hey, why do you think you guys have higher chargebacks? Or why do you think that you don't have as much accuracy in your solution or in what's measuring risk? And then if there are areas where you feel weaker and you can identify why it's the case, like you can also use the data to show why you need more resources, right? So here's where we are. Here's where we, here's where everyone else is. Here are the things we can do differently. So that's, I mean, just using it as action, right? It's not just about, not just about like, oh, reading this report, that's great. We know that it's long, but you will see that we made it as easy as possible for you to read with, you know, data and beautiful graphs to Forder's design team. Because I probably would have done a stick figure or like, you know, just drawn like a little graph or something. You can use that and then you can dive into the parts that you want to learn more about. And then we have actionable takeaways for you. You know, use the data to promote your team for salary and promotions and update management. Just really use this to move forward. And should compare it to other departments and educate them what you're doing and saying, hey, if we reduce our false positives, that actually means that we're going to reduce all those calls that your customer service department are having to take. I'd really love your help to advocate for this, for you know, this solution that we believe will help with reducing false positives to leadership because we're in this together. And like Shoshana said, customer support and payments and fraud are very closely related. Obviously, we could talk for so much longer on this. We, Sean and I, been, and I have been talking about this for months and months and months, and we still could talk more about it because we're passionate Didn't about you it. Trigger? Because we know that it's important and I'm genuinely proud of it. And I'm not proud of a lot of things. I, I mean, I know I should be, but I'm just not. So we really hope that this is helpful to you guys. But we, again, we want to know how we can make it better too. You know, we did acknowledge in this episode as well as in the survey, a few places that we know we need to improve on for next year or, hey, we would have asked this question this way, those type of things. But we want your help, right? If you, however you see it fit, I just... I want this to be a community thing. This is not Carice and Shoshana's report. This is the fraudology community report. This is for fraudologists, for people who are all about the science and study of fraud. This is a big part of it. So, and once again, given that it really was like so much, the fraudology mm -hmm. report, thank you so much again to all of the people who put so much time and thought into helping us craft the questions and make sure they were the right questions and help us take out some of the questions that we really wanted to include that just couldn't because it would have been too long. Yes. Thank you so much to everybody. There were many, many, many people. Thank you. Yes, I agree. And Shoshana, I can't thank you enough and for enough too. So thank you. Thank you. I'm going to try not to make this an Oscar acceptance speech because it's <laughs> but it does take a village to do big things. And I am so grateful that you're in my village. It was really fun. And I was glad to keep it moving along. Yes, you did a very <laughs> moving it along a cattle cross from half the half a world away <laughs>
but it was needed and I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I look forward to talking to you again soon, friend, and I look forward to talking to everyone else on the podcast next week. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.